The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Praise God. Good morning, Central. How is everybody today? Good to be here today, isn't it? Good to be here to praise God. You know, um, Don, I've always been a little confused about this holiday, this Labor Day weekend. You know, I've always thought, well, why do they call it that? I think they call it Labor Day. Aren't you supposed to labor on that day? You know, always, you know, but everybody seems to take off. I'm the only one that seems to be wanting to work on that day. But I don't know. Anyway, that's just me. I'm a little weird and a little strange. But, you know, um, as I come to you today, uh, I, I'm on. I'm going to admit something here. I struggled this week. I struggled coming up with this message today. And you know, for those of you that have seen me do these through the through the you know the last few years, you know, I don't use any notes or anything else because it's the Holy Spirit is what talks to me, and that's what I try to convey to you. And I was waiting, and He wasn't talking. And I even went to Dawn one day this week, and I said, so what are you talking about this week? Well, I'm going to do this and this. And I'm like, okay, well, I, he said, what do you think? I said, I, he said, don't worry, he'll show up. And I said, all right, Dawn, okay. So I left, and still, I mean, I got into Friday, and I still hadn't heard nothing. And I thought, well, this still might just be a deal. I might walk up here and say, good morning, everybody, let's pray. You know, it was kind of heading down that road at one point in time, and then all of a sudden, Friday afternoon, he showed up. And he showed up like a hurricane. And so we'll get to that in just a minute. But, you know, in, in what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to kind of be as ginger as I can because I might mash on some toes a little. Okay? I tell you what, it flat out stomped on mine. And I think every nail on both feet, is they're, they're black right now, all those nails, all 12 of them. So don't you all have 12? Isn't that normal? Oh, anyway. But anyway, I mean, I stomped on mine pretty hard and uh, it's, it's reality. But as we come to the time of communion and we, we talk about the elements, the bread and the juice, and we take it and we do it in remembrance of Jesus and what he did for us, and that he died on that cross, that his blood washed away our sins, that he rose again so that we can have everlasting life. But at the same time, you know, whenever we uh, accept God and take the prayer and confess our sins to him and then believe in all this stuff, it's all great and wonderful, isn't it? You know, and it takes me back to one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 10.10, 10, that the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. But it ends there, doesn't it? It doesn't go on and say, and therefore, you're going to live on easy street, lay up in a hammock, and it's all going to be peaches and cream from here on. It doesn't say that, does it? It talks in the Bible but we will have trials, and we will have tribulations. But it's not always going to be easy. You know, and as we walk down our, our road of Christianity and, and drive down it, and, you know, we try to stay on that straight and narrow and try to do what is right, don't we? And we're trucking along, and things are good, and things are great, and all of a sudden we run into one of these every once in a while. Road closed. Looks familiar, doesn't it, David? Detour. Turn here. Whenever we run into those in our Christian life, do you think Jesus is putting those up? Or do you think it's that other dude? other dude called Satan. You know, sometimes he wants to block that road that Jesus has set for us. And, you know, this goes back to what I was going to tell you that happened to me Friday afternoon. You know, I received a phone call from a friend and 
And uh, he was calling to, you know, for those of you who don't realize and don't know me that well, I'm very, very involved in livestock shows. If I could do that every day of the week, I'd be the happiest person in the world if I could make a living doing that. But I can't. So I can only enjoy it whenever I can. But it involved a livestock show, and someone called me about it, an event that was coming up here in a couple of weeks that it kind of got canceled, got put off. But yet the people-to-be that are running that show are trying to revive it and going to bring back that, that part of it. And they, you know, the guy was calling to ask me for financial assistance, in which that particular show I'd always given to it throughout the years. But he's told me who was going to run it and who was going to handle it. And it's uh, some people that uh, myself, my family, we've had issues with, some pretty major issues through the years. Not necessarily our best friends, so to say. So whenever he told me who was running it, I said, well, okay, yeah, let me talk to the kids. Let me talk to Karen. I'll, I'll get back with you. I hung up the phone, and I was by myself, and I went ballistic. I said, you have got to be out of your mind. You think I'm going to give money to make those people look glory, to bring them glory? You've got to be crazy. I am not going to do that to help those people. Anybody ever been there? Hard right turn. The detour happened just like that. There was Satan. He said, let's go down this road, dude. And I went down it. And as I kept fretting and fuming and stewing and carrying on, the boat kept rocking bigger. The waves were getting larger. Water was coming into the boat. It was getting wild and crazy. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stood up. And he said, waves subside. And he said, Mike, sit down for a minute. Take a breath. Remember what we've been working on? Remember that pride thing? That vengeful thinking that you have sometimes? We've been working on that. Why are you letting it come up again? And I stopped and I thought and I said, You're right, Jesus. That's not the road that I want to go down. That's not the road I need to go down. It's not the road that any of us need to go on. That road of pride... You know, it talks about it, I think, in Proverbs 11.2, it talks about it. There in James 4.6, it talks about it again. You know, that pride is of the world and that we should be humble. And we should be humble in our doings. So, you know, the Holy Spirit shows up in amazing times, in amazing places. And he can humble us and bring us back to earth and subside the waves. So as we go and we take a moment and we visit with Jesus. Let's repent of our sins. He asked us to do that. And not just in a general way. Let's be specific. If you know of a sin that you've committed, repent of it. He says to do that. And let's do it. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you today, as always, I praise you. And I thank you, Jesus. Jesus, as always, we thank you for the rain. But Father, we thank you for the blood. We thank you that we have this opportunity that we can repent and that we can give this to you and you will take it. I know you will because it says it in your word that you'll take it from us. But we have to verbally say it to you, Father. I realize that. I ask that you look over everyone in this room, everyone listening, everyone watching, that you give them health. You give us the guidance. You give us the knowledge that we need that we go forth this week 
And we do the work in the way that you want it to be done. For you are the all-wise and the almighty. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How do you tell if a bill is counterfeit? Now, most of us, have, have you done anything in retail, you know to look for counterfeit money, and there's the little pens, and you hold it up to the light. But it's really hard to find out how much counterfeit money is out there. U.S. Uh, government offices did a survey in 2006. They feel like they, they bantied around a number $70 million is in circulation of counterfeit money. Nobody really knows for sure, but it happens. It's, it's out there. It's all over the place. I read of one story in Tempe, Arizona earlier this year. A Home Depot employee had been taking uh, dollar bills and running them on their copier and 20s and 50s and things like that. He worked in the accounting office of said Home Depot he would bring the money in, and when they went to do the daily cash deposits, he would put the fake money in there. He would take the real money home, and it would go into the bank, and everybody was winning except the Treasury Department was following him and tracking him, and they caught him. And Now, most of you know, if you've studied any, that American money is not printed on paper. It's actually linen. It's a special blend. It's only made by one place in the world. It's incredibly top secret. Uh, it is a special ink. It's an ink that you can't get. It doesn't dry. It's a, an ink that changes. It has, uh, there's different 
plastic strips in them. You can hold it up to the light and see different things. If if you need to check on any of your money, if you'll give me a bunch of it, I'll I'll check it for you and I'll get, some of it might be real. I don't know. Let's go spend it. Now, when I was a youth minister, I used to tell this story as real. I found out later on it was more of an urban legend. But the urban legend was that when they hired treasury agents to to look in the counterfeit department, what they would do is they'd lock them in a room with a stack of 20s and a stack of 50s and a stack of 100s. And they spent all day in that room, and they felt them, and they smelled them, and they touched them, and they closed their eyes, and they could figure out, and they got to know every little nook and cranny of a $20 bill. And then the next day, they would introduce them to multiple different counterfeits. And that's how they could tell. They spent so much time with the real thing that then they could see the fakes. Turns out it's an urban legend, but it's a really powerful spiritual metaphor right there. That you spend a lot of time with the real thing, you can spot the fakes. Is your Christianity authentic? I didn't ask if you're a Christian. I asked, is it a real faith? Or is it a copy of something else? We're in this study called Authentic. We're going to be about five or six weeks in Romans chapter 12. One chapter with 21 verses. I challenged you to read it 12 times. How many of you read it 12 times this week? All right, good job. Some of you did. Uh, you listened to it. Uh, that particular one was David uh, David Sochet. He's a British actor, played Hercule Poirot, and Terry Wood sent it to me, and we're like, ooh, that sounds awesome. So we're going to find different versions and see what we can come up with. But we challenge you to read it 12 times, and we're going to do that again. Last week, we looked at verse 1 in view of God's mercy and what he has done. But this week, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And join me in just this short verse. If you're online, if you're listening on the radio, welcome to Central Christian Church. I'm reading from the NIV today. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul gives two commands and a purpose in this one simple sentence. Two commands and a purpose. And, and it's don't conform, do be transformed, and the purpose is to know God's will. Now, I want you to understand, I don't believe this is religious banter. A lot of people will use this verse and say, oh, that's, you know, that's the basis of it all. But what I think Paul is trying to do here, he wasn't writing a cute bumper sticker. He was, he was trying to tell you how to build the church in a difficult situation. He's trying to build the kingdom in Rome. These are people that are pressured. These are people that feel pressure from the government, pressure from religious groups. They're not strong. And he's saying, you want to be strong, then you need to have him real in your life. You see, when the disciples heard uh, that Jesus wanted them, they didn't hear, accept me into my, your life. They didn't, they didn't hear, make a place for me in your life. They, they heard Jesus say, I want first place in your life. But if you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about the fact that the word Christian 
has lost a lot of its luster over the past few generations. It used to mean somebody that was truly transformed, but it has sadly become a word that is atta- means I'm casually attached to a building. We shared last week that 91% of America declares they believe in God, but only 31% of America actually participates in worship. Why has it become this casual thing? I think, sadly, some people want church or Christian to mean I got my go-to-heaven card punched. All right? You know, I got, I got all the bad stuff wiped away because I, I went to that church. Everything's okay. But you see, Paul is telling Christ followers that in a situation where the world isn't good, then don't look at the situation. Look at God. Put your focus on God. If your country isn't right, look at God. If your situation isn't good, look at God. And the first command he puts here is the focus we usually put is on conform. But the, we've put the emphasis on the wrong syllable here. We, uh, we've messed this one up. The actual what we need to be focusing on here is not the word conform, but it's the word pattern. If Miss Joanne was with us, she would tell us that the verb here is passive, and it means the subject is receiving the action. It means that the subject is being molded by the world. Now, I'll be honest, most of the time we put it on conform. Don't conform to the big, bad world. And it's always at a point to what's going on out there. But let me ask you this. Who is Paul talking to? He's not talking to the big bad world. He's talking to church. He's talking to believers. And he's saying, don't let the world set up your patterns. Don't let the world be your environment. Is the environment that you are in causing you to see that His mercy is new every morning? If it's not, why are you in that? Now, before you go running off and quitting your job and saying, Don told you to do that, that's not what I'm saying. See, what are you allowing to pour into your environment? What, what is it that is wrapping around your environment? What are your habits like? Do you have the habits of a Christ follower? Franklin and I were talking about this this week. What's your routine like? What do you do every day? What is your daily routine like? Do you read the Bible daily? And if you do read the Bible daily, do you study the Bible regularly? Now, I think there's a difference there. Part of the reason we offer Monday Night Ladies class and Wednesdays in the Word and Spectrum and different classes because we want to dig into God's Word. We want to study it. We don't want you to just read it. We don't want you to hear about it. We want you to explain it and be able to, to live it. Do you study His Word? What's your prayer life like? What is your prayer life based on? Is it based on your meals? Well, it's lunchtime. We better pray. You know, Is, is that... How your prayer life is set up. Is tithing important to you? When have you fasted? And for what purpose? What are you reading? Because if you're reading, you're learning. And what are you putting into your mind? Sadly, a lot of us, our environment is this, true? 
Our environment is the Internet. Our environment is the news. We're, we're listening to what is being put into us by the world. What are we putting into our minds? And back to the Bible reading. I don't know about this. Does this happen to any of you? I'm reading the Bible. My eyes are watching the words, but my brain's a million miles away. Anybody? <laughs> I can get the, to the bottom of three pages, and I can't even tell you where I was. I, I'm like, what was I doing? I wasn't thinking about what I was reading. My point in all this is not to guilt us. My point is to ask this question. It seems to me that a disciple, a follower of Jesus, would have the patterns that look like Jesus, would have habits that look like His, patterns of trust, evidence of priorities. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. How do we train doctors? If we want to train a doctor, do we put them in a room, give them a textbook for six hours, and then say, okay, go do surgery? Are you going to want to go to that doctor? <laughs> well, he's over there looking at the textbook, and you're bleeding out on the floor. And I mean, is anybody going to want that? No, no. We take a doctor, and we take them to school for a while, and then after that, we take them and we put them in hospitals around other doctors. And they watch doctors, and they follow doctors, and they listen to doctors. And then, and then doctors work with them and look over their shoulder as they help them doctor, and they teach them doctoring, and they correct them. And we call it a residency, where they go and live in the world of a doctor. And that's exactly what I believe God is calling us to live. Go live in His Word. Go live in His habits. Go live in His presence. And I'm wondering if, if our habits and our environment are not being set up by God, but more by the world. And if you would pardon the pun, have we watered down baptism? Have we lightened up the load of church so much that we've, we've missed how important it is? You see, sadly, some people believe that that is the destination in there. It's not the starting line. And, folks, we need to understand that when people of the New Testament, when they heard about baptism and they heard Jesus talk, and he said, you follow me, that was a portal into which they, they immersed themselves into a new life course. It was a complete change of direction. I walk like him. I think like him. I talk like him. I, I'm surrounded. I'm residing like Jesus. He says in Luke 9, if any man comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Follow me. That's why Bonhoeffer says when Jesus bids a man to come after him, come and die. You see, the disciples didn't hear somebody say, do you want to accept Jesus? They didn't hear him say, make a space in your life for Jesus. They, they heard him say, I want first place. I want first priority. Do your habits describe somebody that, have, ha, that has Jesus as first priority? Let me ask it a different way. Do you like Jesus or are you like Jesus? Did you hear the difference? And in our culture, the word like has become a different subject, hasn't it? It's, it's usually involves a button on social media. Uh, 
I have a Twitter account. How many of you have a Twitter account? How many of you follow Twitter? Our church has a Twitter account. Uh, Campus House has a Twitter account. Do you know what it takes to to be a follower of Central Christian Church? You know what it takes? Boop. That's it. That's that is that's what it takes. Is you have that here? I want to give you a, a heads up on the top five. Uh, Twitter fans right now, or Twitter followers, Elon Musk is in fifth place. He has 104.7 million followers. That's a bunch of Twitter followers. Uh, number four is Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a footballer, where they play that game with a ball, and they kick it with their foot, and they foolishly call it football. I don't understand that. Don't they know it's oblong, and we throw it with our hands? And call it Cristiano Ronaldo's number four. He's got 106.9. Katy Perry's in third. Uh, you Justin believers out there, Justin uh, believers are in second place, 114.1. Now what's number one? Barack Obama, 132.9 million followers. As of Wednesday of this week, it's probably changed by today. Who knows? But the premise of that is simple. Do I want to follow any of them? If I want to follow Elon Musk, all I got to do is push the button. If you want to follow Central Christian Church, all you got to do is push the button. Do you know what you want, want to do if you unfollow Central Christian Church? You push the same button. You just unlike them. And there are no consequences whatsoever, except that God will hate you and you will burn in hell for all eternity. But don't let that bother you or anything. You see, there's, there's no consequence to it. There's no requirement to it. He didn't ask us to be a Christian. He invited people to follow Him. Staying with the subject of uh, social, uh, social media, The Social Network is a movie that came out in 2010 about the birth and the beginning of Facebook. And Mark Zuckerberg... Uh, Obviously, socially challenged person, played by Jesse Eisenberg, who is creepy as all get out, and plays it really well. And there's this one part in the movie where they're arguing, they're fighting about who owns it and who's running it and all this stuff. And they're meeting with lawyers. And he is obviously has contempt for the whole situation. And he's sitting there, and they're across the table, and he's staring out the window. And the lawyers are asking him questions. He says, uh, the lawyer goes, Big New York, powerful attorney, excuse me, sir, do I have your attention? And he's looking out the window and he responds with just contempt, with, with scorn. And he says, you have part of my attention, the minimum amount. There's something pretty powerful about that. Minimum is an interesting word. If you take minimum and you put it with other words, it will... It will elicit emotional responses. Minimum wage. And suddenly that gets to be really testy. Minimum daily requirement. Your minimum payment required this month to keep your credit card and all that kind of stuff. You see, in our culture, it has become the least amount of work I can do to keep my scholarship. What's the least amount of work I can do to keep my job and get my paycheck? But are you hearing me? That is a pattern of this world. A pattern is what can we get by with? Minimum. I wonder when Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, I wonder if he's not talking about how we work in our world. 
do we do the minimum amounts? Do we do the bare minimum? Do we work harder than other people? He's talking to young believers that are trying to set an example for a community that doesn't listen to God, that doesn't respect God. Could he be telling them, you need to work harder? Do we, do we care more? Do we love deeper? Do we serve joyfully? Or we, do we do the minimum amount of work? Do we do the minimum amount of service? The minimum amount of tithing. I looked it up in Deuteronomy 14 this week. It says, uh, bring at least a tenth into the storehouse. In other places, he says, bring me one of every five of your bulls. I don't math well, but that's 20%. You see, what he's saying is, I think sometimes we come into church to get our go-to-heaven card punched to or get the get-out-of-bad-place-free card, you know, I did I did this part. I figured out my income, so I did this part. I, I gave a little bit of effort. I gave the minimum amount so that I can keep my get-out-of-the-bad-place card. You hearing me? But bare minimum effort gets the bare minimum results. He says, I want you to not conform to how the world responds. I want you to be different. He gives that command, and then he gives another command. Be transformed. Metamorphosize is the Greek word, and it is frequently attached to an image of a butterfly. I shared with you a few months ago a book that one of our college students gave me called The, the Cure by John Lynch. And I read then, and I want to read again. I know it's a repeat, but it, it's just stuck with me how this idea of a butterfly comes to, to be. In this book, he says this, If we brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him to analyze it and describe its DNA, he would tell us, I know this looks like a caterpillar to you, and it looks and acts like a caterpillar. But scientifically, according to every test, including DNA, this is fully and completely a butterfly. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will be one day a butterfly in practicality. It will display the behavior and attributes of a butterfly. The caterpillar matures into what is already true about it. And so it is with us. God has given us the DNA of a believer, the DNA of righteousness, the DNA of his character. We are saints He knows that Christ in us is the hope of glory. He's put that in us. It is now our time. He's inviting us to follow Him, to do in us what He already knows is true. He's already built us to be followers and believers. I want you to be changed. I don't want you to follow the pattern of the world. I want you to be transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's not a formula That is a reformation. It's not magic. It's not intellectual because for generations people have tried to, oh, I'm going to think myself into better religion. I'm going to study more. I'm going to learn more. No, it is the governing influence of our thoughts that gets reoriented. I don't think like a worldly person anymore. I don't respond like Mike was talking today. I don't respond out of vengeance. I don't respond out of pride. I respond 
through Jesus. Listen to this Romans 12:2 in a version I found called the Passion Translation. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the world around you, but be inwardly changed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and pleasing in His eyes. I, I think that's powerful. I love how it says it there. You will be inwardly changed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Now, some of you may be kind of ahead of me here. If you've been going to church here for a while, you know I'm going to talk a lot about this is not work harder. This is soak in him more. But it sounds, Don, like you're saying work harder. If you ever leave this place and you feel like I told you to work harder at being a Christian, please come talk to me because that is not the message that we need to get across. However, in this particular situation, there is an there is an amount of energy that is required on our part to do that to to be in that place of transformation. It's the Holy Spirit that does the transforming. It's not about the work of changing me. It's being surrendered more. Cuz to have transformation, it's going to require surrender. I think we're seemingly caught in between two worlds of salvation. On one side, there is this point in time when salvation happens. And there's this other side that is, it is a process of salvation. He, he has saved me and he is saving me. Well, which is it? Yes. <laughs> it, he has saved me and he is saving me and he is changing me and he is transforming me. He saved me, criminal on the cross. Uh, you will, today you will be with me in paradise. You are saved the moment you ask Him to be Lord of your life. But the moment you ask Him to be Lord of your life, He is going to start the transformation process. And that is a reason to praise. You took my worst and you turned it into greatness. You see, this is about letting Him transform. I found a quote this week that I wish I would have found last week because it goes with last week's sermon. But it talks about living sacrifices. And the guy said, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. I said, you know, that's pretty powerful right there. For transformation to happen, we have to stay on his altar and let him do the changing. But I said there were two commands and a promise. Do, don't be conformed to the pattern, but do be transformed and the, thir- the purpose is this, to know God's will. When you follow those two commands, you will know God's will. Now, we've talked last week, and we're going to continue to talk. Our purpose is to make disciples, to be a disciple and to make disciples. That's our purpose. And, but to know how he wants to work it out, it's by following those two commands, by changing our, our patterns and changing our thinking. On the banks of the River Havel, which is a tributary of the Elbe River, sets a town called Potsdam, Germany. I've never been there, but I looked it up on the Internet. It's a beautiful city. It has palaces. It has uh, cathedrals. It has lakes outside of town. It has a lake inside the town. It's built right on the river. It's 16 miles downstream from Berlin. But in August of 1945, it was the site of what was 
of something really pretty spectacular. It's called the Potsdam Conference. Its leaders from the United States, the United Kingdom, and China all got together to draft one piece of paper. A piece of paper, a document that would change the world. A document they were going to give to to the Emperor of Japan. And in this document it said, we will bring doctors and medicine and we will uh, come in and we will help your wounded. We're going to bring... We're going to be, bring trucks and workers. We'll rebuild your infrastructure. We'll rebuild your buildings. We'll teach you and we'll teach your children. We'll give you money. We'll give you roads. We'll give you police. We'll give you medicine. We'll give you safety. We'll give you security. All you got to do is sign here. But at the top of that page was a, were two very powerful words. Unconditional surrender. The, both words were important. Unconditional and surrender. you got to have both. We're going to give you all of this great stuff, but to get that great stuff, it's got to come on the other side of surrender. You no longer get to rule. You no longer get to oppress people. You no longer get to hurt women. You no longer get to do what you say. You will do what we say. And then on the deck of the USS Missouri, September 2nd, 1945, 77 years ago, like two days ago, 77 and two years, uh, 77 years and two days ago, they signed it and let America lead. But to get the, to get the protection and the providence, there had to be a surrender. I'm afraid way too many Christ followers have just tried to add a little Jesus to him. They haven't unconditionally surrendered. Oh, God, I love you. I, I want you to do things in my life, but don't tell me how to live. Well, that's not unconditional surrender. Well, God, but you don't understand. This is my life, and these are, this is my money, and this is my stuff. I want you. I want the get-to-heaven card, but I still want to run my life. No, we have not surrendered all. We have not made room for Him to do what He wants to do. So if you'd stick with me for a couple of minutes, I want to park here for a second. Counterfeit faith is not authentic. It might look like it. It might look real. It might look like I'm spending real faith and real money, but it's fake. It's not real. Paul gives us two direct commands. The first one is you need to change your patterns. And I need you to hear this really closely. I am not aiming at anyone. I am not speaking to anyone specifically. This is God, I believe, saying through the word, change your environment. We talk a lot to our teenagers about, hey, you've got to be careful who your friends are, right? You've got to be careful the friends that you wrap yourself around because your friends can determine how you live. Guess what? That applies to adults. Some adults have an environment where you are allowing friends or you're allowing the Internet or you're allowing whatever it is to pour into your environment bad things that are not creating the habits of a Christ follower. You need to check the patterns of your life. Neither would we take an alcoholic to the bar. Neither, we wouldn't do that. 
put yourself in situations and places where you can succeed and where you need to succeed, where you want to succeed. If he's hitting you, you need to get out. You need to make space. You hear me? Change the patterns because patterns repeat. Patterns repeat. People repeat patterns. A real faith is going to have the the real guts to say, I've got some bad patterns and I've got to change them. And Paul gives another he, he, another command. You've got to change your thinking. You've got to change how you're, how you're allowing things poured into you and you've got to change your thinking. Listen to me. You need to go to AA. Somebody needs to hear that today. I don't, I don't want to look at anybody. I don't want to t- attack anyone. I'm not. I promise I'm not talking to anybody. But you need to get help. Your thinking is, I can handle this, and we've got a lot of evidence that proves you can't. So get help. Maybe you're dealing with depression, and you're just, you're just trying to get by. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not in any way saying that. I'm saying get help. Talk to people. Go talk to a professional. Get, uh, get somebody. Get online. Get Find somebody that you can talk to. And let God change your thinking as well as your environment. You see, it's a very tragic place. I love this quote. To be where you can do something and you just don't have a willing heart. I think for us to be authentic... I think it's going to it's going to take us being real and letting God change our environment and change our thinking because that's the way we will know how God can use us. That's why we're calling this series authentic, not counterfeit, not fake bills, real bills, real faith. I'm going to challenge you again. Read it 12 times. Read this one chapter, 21 verses, 12 times this week. That's twice a day for six days and one day Sabbath rest. Find it in different versions. Find it in different readings. Find it in different voices. Let somebody read it together. Do that, do that thing where you focus on different words. You know that where you... This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord hath made. This is the day the Lord hath made. You know what I'm saying? Where you, where you emphasize every word. And you listen to every word. And how is He speaking to me? Because we want our faith to be real. Our purpose is not to be in here. Our purpose is to make disciples out there. And we've got to make room for Him to do what He wants to. Now that, this song is called Make Room. But listen to that line right after, to do what you want to do, God. You need to clear out some of your thinking. You need to clear out some of your environments and give him the room to do what he wants to do. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.